Hello and welcome to Thank You Come Again. This is an e-commerce podcast sponsored by Wonderment, where we dive into the actual strategies that leading D2C brands are using to not only make their customers come back and buy again, but have the best possible customer experiences. I'm Blake and Burl. I started my career as a retention marketer, and now I'm focused on being a shepherd of knowledge for you and others on all things retention marketing. You won't find any top 10 guru guides here. Instead, I want you to walk away from each episode with battle-tested and actionable insights that's going to help you to move a needle forward and driving repeat business. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Thank You, Come Again. Today, I've got the pleasure of being joined by Eric Bandholz, founder of Beard Brand, Shark Tank alum, host of the e-commerce conversations podcast. And I'm going to go on record and say the most badass beard and hair in all of e-commerce. Eric, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Hey, man. That's uh, quite the intro. I appreciate uh, all the compliments, but I, I don't know if I got the best beard anymore now that it's a little <laughs> bit shorter. Hey, well, as someone who can't really grow a full connected beard quite yet, um, 28 still can't do it. So who knows if I'll get there, but uh, no, yeah. I've got to got to give respect, I think, in props where it's due. But today, Eric, we're going to be diving into your e-commerce journey, the Beard Brand story, how you've approached customer retention at Beard Brand, what learnings came from 2022 and bets that you might be making in 2023, and maybe along the way, offer some wisdom and um, inspiration to current and aspiring DTC founders. But first, who is Eric Bandholds? And can you share with us a little bit of your journey on building Beard Brand? Yeah, so uh, I'm the founder of uh, Beard Brand. We're a men's grooming company. Um, obviously, we've, we've got products for the beard, but we've grown beyond the beard over the past 10 years into hair care and skin care, smelling good and using some tools. So if you're a dude, uh, we've pretty much got some uh, amazing products for you. We're also in an entirely bootstrap company. So uh, any dollar we made, we put back into the business. I've got two business partners. So uh, we've been able to grow slowly uh, and organically over the years uh, for a very much kind of I want to say drama free, but minimal amount of drama uh, over the past uh, 10 years. That's been a, a fun ride being able to work on a business that that I enjoy and uh, with people that I enjoy as well. That's awesome. And I, I've been following your brand for quite some time. I started as a retention marketer. Um, several years back and really learning, I think, from great brands. I think I had saw a beard brand, like a Clavio blog or something um, a long time ago. And so I subscribed to the emails, the content, obviously. I've seen you guys around. I feel like I see your face everywhere. Um, but I'm really curious. I, so I, was, I was doing some research on you. I learned that you were a financial advisor turned you know, entrepreneur. Can you talk about sort of that evolution of like jumping from the corporate world to really doing this full time and going all in on beard brand? Yeah, I mean, uh, so we got to reverse like 12 years when I used to be a, a financial advisor. And uh, I was not a very successful financial advisor. Uh, I did it for about a year, year and a half and kind of hit my numbers, but never to the point where it was like a sustainable business because a lot of financial advisors are just kind of like their own independent advisors. I, the, the idea of trading your time for money is not something that I really um, was drawn to, uh, like in financial advising or law school or doctors, those type of roles are, are not something that excites me. And in addition to that, the kind of this idea in the financial advising world that 
you look at your your prospects or your clients or candidates based on their net worth. And I really didn't like enjoy looking at people based on how much money was in their bank account and then kind of like prospecting them based on that because essentially you do the same amount of work um, with two different clients. One has a million dollar portfolio and one has a hundred thousand dollar portfolio. You're going to get paid more in the million dollar one. So there's just kind of like this uh, weird sketchy vibe that I, I would never like describe myself as a financial advisor. I do love finance and I do love investing, but uh, that was not quite the right fit for me and always kind of like was entrepreneurial. And, and there's elements of that role that are entrepreneurial uh, that I do like and, and are drawn to. But in those early days, like um, if I don't like something, I just, I, you know, some people are really good at staying at jobs for long periods of time, even though they're not happy. Like I am not one of those guys. Like if I'm not happy, I'm working on being out the door in a very short amount of time. And, uh, you know, the financial advisor role was kind of like that. I did not enjoy it. Unfortunately, I had hit my goals for like, you know, like six months in advance. So there's like no reason for me to leave because I, I could essentially do nothing for six months and still be on target with my goals. So I kind of hung around there and like was working on a lot of side projects at the time. Like uh, when I found that when I'm bored and my, my main career or not inspired by my main career, like I really start thinking about anything and everything. So I had like four or five projects that I had started up during this time period, uh, you know, as I like to say, like kind of a wake of failed projects. Um, and Beard Brand was was one of those projects. And, and fortunately, um, the only difference between Beard Brand and, and all my other projects was that I had business partners with Beard Brand. And, and I think that was the major thing that allowed Beard Brand to, to become successful versus uh, my other projects. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, I mean, it sounds like, you know, things that you learned through those experiences you brought into the business, I'm sure having some of that financial background and being a bootstrap company probably has some sort of, um, you know, kind of common thread there as well. But you mentioned having business partners too. And so I'm curious, what parts of the business then are you most passionate about? And what parts of the business are you maybe not as passionate about? And you kind of learn to maybe bring in help or obviously have your partners to help there. So I'm just kind of curious to learn sort of like that, uh, that sort of lay of the land. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the the beauty of trying to build a, a company that you can enjoy doing for theoretically the rest of your life, you know, like this is the mentality that we have at Beard Brand is like, I want to build a sustainable company. Part of having a sustainable company is enjoying the journey. And part of enjoying the journey is doing things that you like and enjoy. So creating content is something that I do tend to to enjoy, uh, you know, doing podcasts like this is a, a lot of fun for me telling the story. And uh, of course, we have a YouTube channel and, and other social media platforms where I create content. And I really enjoy that. I also do enjoy the the vision aspect, like where we're taking the, the, the company, where the brand, you know, vision from a brand perspective as well, what the brand stands for, both in the uh, visual design, like uh, we just rolled out these new packaging um in 2022 and that was kind of uh, one of the projects i was really excited about where i do not enjoy parts of the business is is on the execution uh i don't enjoy holding people accountable i am not a micromanager I, I i do not like building sops and telling you to follow these instructions i really like to hire people who are smart 
who understand the direction we're going and, and are able to find those opportunities themselves and, and can hold themselves accountable to that. Um, and then subsequently, you know, operations is kind of not my uh, cup of tea because uh, that's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of processes, <laughs> you know, sure, and a, sure. lot of, a lot of accountability and a lot of checking things off. And I'm definitely more of a, a creative kind of like ideas person. Um, so the more I can spend on the vision and, and, uh, the content, uh, the, the video content specifically, I think that the, the more connected I feel to the business. It's great that you kind of have that sort of, uh, you know, outlook. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm the same way, very creatively driven, not so much getting in the weeds of creating SOPs and things like that. But I, I've learned, um, you know, to talk to more founders, having that awareness is one of the most critical phases of really growing a business is knowing what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and learning to be higher or, or bringing on help if needed to, to be able to do that. And you mentioned like sort of the vision of the company. Um, I love your core values. I was, I was looking to the website, you know, freedom, hunger, trust, and then even your product ethos. Um, I'm curious, you talk a little bit about like how those sort of kind of frameworks have really shaped Beard Brand. And was that something that like you did as you were building the company? Have you just sort of like um, as you've built the company, kind of revise those. Can you just talk a little bit about the evolution or kind of um, framework behind those? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big mission guy. I'm a big core values guy. Uh, those have been uh, instrumental in uh, the success and, and, and growth of our company over the years. Freedom, hunger, and trust. Uh, we, we probably came up with those within like our first quarterly strategy session. Uh, so we do quarterly strategy sessions outside of the business to be able to make sure we're pointed in the right direction. Uh, that's me and my two business partners. Uh, we'll get together and, and kind of talk about where we're going. So in the early days, it was a lot of like, what is our mission and what are our core values? And, you know, what is our purpose and how we're growing the business? And do we want to bootstrap or raise money? And how quickly do we want to grow? And, you know, what do we want out of the business? All that stuff. Um, but now it's, it's pretty much just more focused on kind of like uh, the projects that we'll be working on. And, and we've pretty well gotten established, but freedom, hunger, and trust, um, you know, I think of them as a, a triangle where they, they need to work in, in harmony with each other. Because if you, uh, to, to be able to get the most, um, like room within the triangle to be able to create the most, you need to, to, to not pull them all out of whack. So like, if you think about it, like this being freedom, this being hunger and this being trust, like if you pull it too far with the hunger and trust and, and you have no freedom, then the, the space gets small. I don't know if this is a good analogy. Or I love it. That's great. Not. <laughs> but but basically, it's, it's about having core values that have balance, you know, and, and also having core values that uniquely stand on their own. Because I feel like a lot of people fall into this trap where they have like five or seven or 10 core values. And a lot of them are the same. It's like, you know, like, we work really hard and, you know, we turn down no opportunity. It's like, well, those are the exact same thing. You know, it's like, that's drive, that's hunger. And then, um, you know, for us, trust is a big one. And I think trust speeds up the way you do business. You know, uh, we tend to, to be shy of like these very long contracts that, you know, everything is covered and everything is lived by the, the contract. It's more like, hey, man, just do what you say you're going to do. And if something goes wrong, let's work to figure it out. And solve that problem so you know kind of our style is is a little more uh handshake uh type of agreements and and kind of also like you know uh, wanting to earn 
you know, our vendors wanting to earn our business, but us also wanting to take care of our vendors that they enjoy working on uh, our account and uh, providing us services. So, uh, and then, you know, freedom is like, ultimately, why do we do this? Like, I, I don't want to be anybody's bitch. I don't think my team members want to be anybody's bitch. It's not fun being somebody's bitch. I don't want to be, you know, like Amazon's bitch or anybody's bitch. So like a lot of the decisions we make are aligned with how we allow our company to, to make independent decisions that are not uh, influenced by, you know, third parties who may have uh, different different uh, incentives than what we have. So uh, it's been a good guiding light and and we've kind of learned some red flags over the years to just kind of walk away from deals or walk away from partnerships based on things that don't align within our, our core values. Today's episode of the Tega Podcast is brought to you by Wonderment, the easiest way to proactively set expectations on shipping timeframes, automatically update customers with delays, and measure shipping expectation versus reality across the business. Wondermint is a retention Swiss army knife used by hundreds of leading Shopify merchants, including The Ridge, Boxu, Igloo, Feastables, Jones Road Beauty, and more. Whether you're looking to improve your customer experience, retention marketing, or both, Wondermint will turn your post-purchase shipping experiences into a channel that helps to bring your customers back again and again. Tyka podcast listeners can receive a free trial of Wondermint by visiting wondermint.com demo and let them know that Blake sent you. And now, back to the show. It definitely sounds like those have been guiding principles that have served you very well. And I love that you kind of have this harmony, I think, between the three of them. And that triangle analogy is great. I, I really enjoyed at least getting to, to hear that. I think also um, what you said about like eliminating redundancies too. I think about past companies that I was in, we had, you know, 7, 10, 12 core values. And like, yeah, I mean, a lot of them, it's like kind of nonsense almost. Like the to have three that really hit on it three is a lot already, honestly, like to remember day in, day out. So I think that um, that's really great that you've done that. And the reason I ask all this and kind of set up some of like now really what I want to get into is kind of like retention, customer experience, all these different things. And so learning kind of your ethos, I feel like is helpful in this conversation. Um, but as you've started to really grow Beard Brand over the last 10 years and, you know, the journey you think about and kind of the ups and downs, but um, how did you focus on growing customer retention? Like what were some of the steps that you were taking along the way? um to keep customers coming back and buying again i uh i probably take a little bit different approach than a, a lot of like traditional marketers who may think about like let's roll out a referral program or you know like uh, get people into subscriptions and really drive that my mindset is like how do i make a, a business so good and products so amazing that they can't do anything but talk to their friends about it and buy again. Like, so that's the the strategy we tend to take. I, I think I'm probably inspired by, you know, Tesla in that regards. I feel like, you know, their product is so amazing and it gets challenging with this because like ultimately like something like this, it's like white, white goo in a bottle. And to most people, it's pretty hard to discern the difference between this and, you know, maybe one of our competitors products. So uh, when that is a challenge, when your product is slightly commoditized and you have to think about how your business can can uh, break through that that aspect of it. And we do that by having like a really nice unboxing experience, um, by taking care of our customers if something goes wrong or they're not happy in regards to uh, returns about uh, uh, over there is our um, 
barbershop. So like to, to, you can get like literally the experience you see on YouTube. You can come in to the barbers you see on YouTube and get a haircut from them, a beard trim from them and, and get the, the, the banter that, that we show on there as well. So being able to kind of like, you know, take the online and, and bring it to the real world. Now, not everyone's in Austin and, you know, we've got more customers than, than barbers who can serve them. So <laughs> it's uh, not entirely feasible that everybody's going to be able to experience that. But the, the people who really buy into Beard Brand and what we're doing and the mission, uh, we put on like special events. Uh, we call it the Alliance Conference where they come in and they meet other customers. And, um, you know, we kind of focus on uh, growing uh, as individuals and, and building those connections uh, around like-minded people. So that's kind of how we look at it. And then, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big metric guy. <laughs> like kind of going to already tell. So like I couldn't even tell you what our, our reorder rate is or you know, retention rate. But what I can tell you is just like, is, you know, are we doing the things that are cool and, um, you know, kind of remarkable. And uh, I think we are, you know, I think we are, but there's also room to improve. That's why we show up to work every day. Definitely. And I, I mean, I definitely think you are. It sounds, you know, a lot of like what I'm hearing too, as that kind of creative side of you and the vision kind of that you have is sort of guiding a lot of this. And in my opinion, like Beard Brand is a perfect DTC case study in the effective intersection of a few things. Uh, it's content, it's community, it's a visible founder like yourself. You, know, you look at things like the Urban Beardsman blog, the PDPs, which feature videos of you talking about all the products. Like I loved going through those and just seeing that and kind of being like, wow, like you're really taking the time to connect with the customer as they're considering these products. Um, and then even the YouTube channel, obviously been a big staple for you, you know, millions of views and subscribers at this point. It's it's all honestly quite remarkable, the vision and creativity that you've really in, entrenched into the brand. Um, and I think it creates sort of like this sense of connectedness, not only to the products, which is great, but also to the people like behind the brand. And I feel like that's a lot of why I buy with brands is like a connectedness that I feel to the people behind the brand. Um, can you talk about some of the origins of like how important was content and community as you were building your brand and sort of like that journey that you've had with, with content? Yeah. So, I mean, like the start of Beard Brand was was started in content. I started by blogging and, and, uh, the YouTube channel and, and the vision for beard brand was never to create uh, a grooming company. The, the, the vision was to help men on their journey to, to love the man looking back at them in the mirror in the early days when there was a lot of pressure to, you know, shave your face and look a certain way. We really did focus on, in, you know, empowering guys to grow their beards out and, and the adversity that they might face in that. Um, nowadays, like 10 years later, it seems like it's, um, something that we won on. Uh, I feel like, uh, guys can grow facial hair in pretty much any environment they want outside of ones where you have to wear a mask for uh, safety protection. And, uh, you know, so we, we kind of transitioned our, our messaging to, you know, more about loving the man who looks back at you and, you know, we're, we're obviously pro beard, but we're also more than being pro beard. We're, we're pro men and, and what the man needs to do to, to keep on growing and, and improve. So, um, yeah, content is like how we, how we do it. I almost look at products as, you know, we don't do content to sell more products. We sell more products to be able to create more content and kind of get our mission out there. So it's almost like a reverse kind of strategy that we have as 
like a generally pretty mission oriented organization. I think that's an interesting kind of like flip, flipping the switch a little bit on, on how you view content. But I think it speaks a lot to just the philosophy that you have behind this content, you know, loving the man behind the, you know, that all those different things you're talking about, there's really, really powerful stuff. And um, what's the process like for, for creating this content? Like who's involved? What informs the decisions that you're making? Um, you know, is it like customer questions that inform it? Are you, you know, just have this idea and like, you've got to get it out. Like what is sort of the evolution um, of, of creating all that content that you put out? Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've done like a masterclass on this over on uh, with, with founder uh, talking about how uh, we do our, our YouTube marketing and, and it's really, you know, there's a lot, uh, to it, so I'll try to to give the, the the very high level. And you know, we've been creating content for for ten plus years. So uh, and and we have thousands of videos. So I, I've pretty much created content on anything and everything you could ever imagine when it comes to to men's grooming. Um, so in the early days, it was you know create a video and then see what the comments are, and then you know like hey, could you talk about how to eat with a beard? It's like okay, well I'll do a video on that. And then uh, eventually people ask questions and you just start linking them to the, the, the videos you already did. Um, and, and YouTube is a really challenging algorithm to be able to, you know, leverage that algorithm to be able to get your content in front of uh, an audience that you normally wouldn't be able to get in front of um, requires a lot of creativity and, and being able to generate content that piques interest and uh, hooks them in with the, with the content. So over the years, we kind of uh, evolve the channels uh, with our primary channel focusing on barbershop experience and, and the haircuts they get at a barbershop. So giving customers tools on maybe like what kind of hairstyle is going to work for them. They see a guy who has a similar build or similar look to them, similar hair type, and then they're able to take that into the barber and be like, hey, you know, I saw this video on YouTube. I really want to go with this cut. Uh, so being able to provide a tool like that. And then um, with our, um, we have a lot of different content creators. I, I never wanted this to be Eric brand. I wanted it to be Beard brand and kind of represent more than just me. So we have uh, Carlos and, and Greg are, are some other regular content creators that we've had for a number of years. And, and in terms of like how I content create is it's a very hands-off thing. Like I have my ideas that I'll get and I'll jot down like, three or four bullet points and then hit record and then send it over to the video editor and just let the video editor do what the video editor does. And then with Carlos and, and Greg, it's kind of the same thing. It's like they're responsible for coming up with their own ideas and their own inspiration. And then, uh, you know, we kind of learn over time. Like, so in the barbershop, we, we learn that giant transformations are going to be you know, a, a better use of our time um, to, to produce that type of content over a, maybe a more standard kind of trim up uh, haircut. So being able to identify and find opportunities and like almost like build a, a network of, of guys who are willing to do transformations at some point in the future is something that we're always doing. So Sylvester, who's our camera person, is uh, in the barbershop and he's kind of always got that camera ready in case he finds uh, an interesting client coming into the chair to the barbershop. And uh, and then, yeah, we just got a lot better at figuring out how to title title our videos and, and pick out thumbnails. Yeah, it's definitely a lot going on there. I think it also is really fascinating to hear, you know, just sort of like how you think about the inspiration for the content. 
me investment that you've even made too. Like, I think a lot of brands want to do YouTube. They, I hear about, oh, it's the, the awareness engine, like all these views that you're getting. It's such an uh, organic channel, but like you look at like a lot of what the content they're putting out, it's, it's sort of like, doesn't feel like you kind of want to hang out and stay around in the channel for too long. But when I go to like the beard brand YouTube channels, it's like, I, you know, the transformations are great. You know, some of the, you know, how to's are great. There's just a lot more content that kind of creates like I'm not being sold, but I feel like I'm really learning about, you know, all these different things. I'm feeling like there's this community aspect to it. Um, I think about like, we, we have a customer at Wonderment called mini, mini Katana and they're like super bullish on YouTube and what they're doing. And that's super cool to see. Um, but I, I think it's really great to hear how bullish you have been on YouTube and the investment that you've made. But I'm curious if, like, do you think like, it's a long-term investment in something like YouTube, but you have to be committed to consistently just putting in the work or could a brand just spin up a few YouTube videos and hope for the best? Like, is, is it, is it really a lot more work? I think than um, what's maybe cracked up to, to kind of be talked about some of these kind of content guru guides, for example. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's, you know, and, and you think about if you're, you know, from my perspective, I'm trying to build a bootstrap company and to, to build a bootstrap company, when you don't have a lot of money, you have scarce resources. I mean, the reality is all businesses have scarce resources and it's how you allocate those scarce resources that, you know, kind of give you a competitive advantage. But as a, a company, especially in the early days, we had more time than money. So when you have more time than money, you need to be doing time intensive things. And that's going to be content, uh, specifically blogging, uh, you know, photography, video editing, all those things take a lot of time. And there's a reason why you know, brands generally stay away from it. Uh, in addition to that, the time that you put into it, a video I produced, you know, 10 years ago and a video I produce now take essentially the same amount of time to produce. Yet one will get, you know, back in the day, it would get a couple hundred views and now it gets, uh, you know, 20 or 100,000 views depending on how well it does. So no difference in, in energy going into it. So you do need to... Um, plan on uh, the foundation being built. And, and the reality is like, I don't think a lot of people understand how challenging YouTube is when they dip their toes into it. They'll, they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go viral YouTube. Here's this viral video and they produce it and they'll get 30 views and be like, that was a complete waste. I'm not doing it anymore. And um, if, if that's kind of your mindset, you, you should not even do it to begin with because I would say like YouTube's going to take about six to 12 months to, to see any kind of traction. And, and not only that, for you to be able to understand the algorithm and understand how to title your content, understand what kind of thumbnails are going to resonate with your audience, all that learning takes time and it takes data points. So you have one video, you're really not going to know what that data point is. You need, you know, five to 10, 15 videos to be able to be like, all right, what are the trends? What videos are doing the best and why are they doing the best? And where am I getting, you know, the longest watch time and where am I getting the people who, you know, clicking the videos, but maybe they leave. So like being able to combine, you know, the elements that hook people in and then combine the elements that keep people engaged with the content, uh, it takes a lot of time. So yeah, we're, we're like, you know, I'm working on, a you know, uh, what am I 41 years old? So I've got about another 30 years of work, you know, that's my time frame. So it, when you have a 30 year time frame, you're able to really invest in things that, Take time. Whereas I think a lot of entrepreneurs get into this, you know, trap of like, oh, I got to build a business and sell it in three to five years. And then, you know, talk about my exit and, you know, brag about all the money I made with this giant exit and money in the bank and, you know, 
lack of fulfillment uh, after the fact they've they've sold their baby. I think that's a great uh, call out that you just made there. And I was talking to another founder um, from Bomb Tech Golf. He was he just sold the company, exited, but it took him you know about 12, 15 years I think of being in that company. But like, still runs it, still loves the company. I think if you have the passion and the enthusiasm, you mentioned that that long time horizon. But just the investment and like kind of um, the why, why you show up to work every day, reminding yourself of those things. Um, so then you were saying about this. You were talking about YouTube too and the investment. Um, so we. Uh, we work with a customer called Feastables. It's a Mr. Beast brand. And I hadn't known of Mr. Beast before, like we worked with them. So I was just doing some research on Jimmy and his kind of creative process and talking about like, you know, he spent like years studying YouTube and like learning the best thumbnails and like the best way to like structure titles and all these different things. And so it's really interesting to hear you talk about this and what you've learned over the, you know, investing in a channel like YouTube and that it isn't going to be um, all sunshine and roses, you have to learn along the way and, and really be invested and in creating good content um, at the heart of it. And, and that kind of creates that community, I think, in a lot of ways as well, um, which can be sort of that great unlock for customer retention, I think. Yeah. And, and Jimmy's, uh, you know, Mr. Beast and all of the content he has is just an amazing inspiration for content creators. But you also have to recognize that there's different kinds of content. Like Mr. Beast is creating content that can appeal to everybody. And subsequently, like there's going to be less of an affinity to, um, you know, maybe certain types of projects. Now he's got such a huge audience and so many people are watching his stuff that he's able to drive uh, sales for, you know, like the Beast Burger I, I bought. I, I, I'll admit I bought that. And that was a, <laughs> It just blew my mind, his ability to, to kind of do these mega projects. But there's opportunity in the niches as well, where you okay. produce content that isn't going to blow up like Mr. Beast. It isn't designed to be viral. You know, maybe you're only going to get a thousand views, but those thousand views are people who are willing to spend, you know, uh, $10,000 a year with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, depending on your product, or your expertise. So you, you don't need to think you're only going to be successful in YouTube if you're getting millions of views. In fact, we started chasing views with Beard Brand and we used to see kind of like the growth of the company and the growth of the YouTube channel went like this. And then all of a sudden, when we started focusing on views, the, the company kind of still went up, but the views went way up and it was no longer aligned. And, and there was clearly like the fact that we were producing content for uh, not our intended customer at Beard Brand and, you know, the question is, like, you know, from an ego perspective, like, maybe we would have been better off if we just kind of stuck to our guns and our core values and, and, and our mission rather than chasing views. And it's a hard, uh, hard thing to, to decide to, to know what is right, because it is appealing to have so many millions of views and, and the potential that those views could become customers over time. Totally. I think, yeah, you know, a lot of the vanity metrics that folks can chase could end up leading them down paths that maybe aren't as fruitful for the business. And I think it comes back to defining the goals of like what you're really investing in. And yeah, I mean, a thousand views on YouTube might end up being, you know, a thousand paying customers. I mean, that's maybe a little ridiculous, but like it, it really is like what you're saying. It's the, um, the intent and really the audience that you're going after, you know. A company that sells, you know, ceramic mugs isn't going to take over YouTube most likely, but, you know, they might find a really loyal niche and, and audience within that too. Um, to kind of pull things back a little bit, some of the um, kind of how you kind of thought about retention at Beard Brand. Um, with first-time customers, one of the biggest challenges that a lot of merchants face, I think, is 
nurturing a first-time customer into maybe not a lifelong customer, but really a loyal customer that comes back and buys multiple times. What are some of the touch points, if that's content or, you know, emails, text, whatever that you're sending, like what do you, what goes into creating what you think is a great first customer into maybe a, a more loyal customer for Beard Brand? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of the way we think about things is like, what can Amazon do uh, really well and not focusing on competing in those regards? So Amazon can give you all the selection in the world. They can uh, ship to you super quickly. And uh, I don't know. I think that's about all they got going for them. Um, whereas we can do so much more. We can you know, make our packages go out the door really nice. So there's a beautiful unboxing experience. We can throw in freebies without it really being too much complicated. So we have like a little booklets. Let's see, do I have one in my pocket? Um, we have little booklets that we include and then, uh, uh, the email flows as well, like the education. So we can focus on education. There's one thing I wanted to talk about uh, a little bit earlier around content and it's video and it's email as well is like, I want viewers to think about content, not in regards of like how many emails do I send a week, but in regards to how can I send as many pieces of content as possible. And the answer to that is you need to have content that really brings a lot of value to the customers. You know, like the Hustle and Morning Brew are perfect examples. They're sending out content every single day. And the reason they send it out every day is because it's it's valuable and people enjoy it. But if your content is just like, oh, I got a 10% sale, I got a 10% sale, I got a 10% sale, people are, are not going to have any value in that. So you change your mindset to like, how do I produce content that People are excited to open up on a daily basis uh, or a regular basis. And that is where you start to build that loyalty for your customer. So you have to think about your product and not what your product does, but what your product allows your, your, your customer to, to do. Like, how does it bring value to their life? Like for us, our products help our dudes look good. And then when they look good, they feel good. When they feel good, they become better, you know, uh, partners and fathers and, uh, community members and uh, colleagues in their office. And then we can make the world a better place through that self-investment. So we we don't focus on like the ingredients and, you know, like the containers and the sales and the discounts and the website. What we focus on is that journey of growth. And then when you're focused on a journey of growth, that that's so many things. That's no longer just like taking a shower every day. That's, you know, like how do you communicate to uh your, your spouse, how do you become a dad and like deal with the, the hardships of, of parenting and, and the challenges that come with that? There's just so many avenues of content you can go when you think beyond what your product does and then and instead think about how your product brings value to customers' lives. That's really powerful. And that's a great transformation of kind of like what I think like when when I think about when I was consulting for brands a lot of the time, like we would think about content in this like vacuum of like, okay, like we just got to focus on a few things of like how to use a product, what makes it great, all those different things. But like you've really taken this approach of like it's the whole experience, it's the lifestyle, it's the different things that, you know, you you have touch points that can actually connect on a deeper level, I think, with with the customer at the end of the day. Um, and I think that's what creates content that is so engageable is that, like, I mean, you know, when I visit the YouTube page, you know, I even was looking at it this morning, I'm like seeing all these things like transformations and different kind of like content that isn't like it's 
I would click on that and watch it, even if I wasn't looking to buy products. And I think that keeps you engaged in in sort of the ecosystem of Beard Brand in a lot more of a different way than, you know, just like uh, here's a generic piece of content, here's a sale. Uh, I've lost interest after a week, two weeks of shopping with this brand. Um, that to me is a great unlock. And I know that's a big challenge for a lot of brands. And so one of the things that I think can really help in that is talking to your customers or learning what's valuable to them in some ways as well. And kind of like how to create content around that. Um, a lot of founders say the best way to grow the business is to talk to your customers. And I totally agree, but I'm curious, like, what does that mean to you? And, and do you think that talking to the customers has helped you to create a more effective business? I mean, I, I, I don't think you can live in a, a bubble. And I think that's probably one of the advantages a, a D2C company has over like an Amazon reseller or a, a seller on Amazon is they, they really do get that ability to, to have that one-on-one conversation. We've created a, a private community called the Alliance, which serves as a resource to us in terms of like product feedback, product testing, you know, prototyping directions that we should go opportunities to improve what we're offering as well as uh, our communication with our audience on social media whether it be Instagram, TikTok, or uh, uh, YouTube to be able to understand, you know, what they're going through and, and the challenges they have. So I think being in tune with your customers is really important. But at the end of the day, they're going to make suggestions that may or may not align with the vision of your company and the direction you want to take the company. Uh, so you have to be prepared to, you know, like, see comments that are not aligned uh, with what you're doing and, and are not supportive, uh, maybe more critical. And, um, you know, the consequences that come along with that too, because like I can find someone who wants, you know, like our old packaging and I can find someone who wants our new packaging. And so like, what do you do? You know, like it's really ultimately comes down to you and kind of like your vision and what you want uh, to be able to build a business the way you want to build it. Um, yeah. Have there been times then where you talk about like vision and sort of like the, you know, you're listening to the customer, you're seeing all this feedback, you might maybe not agree with all of it, or you have this conviction that like the like packaging, for example, I don't know if, if there was any feedback that kind of led to that decision, but I'm, I'm just curious, like, have there been times where you've gone against the mentality that the customer is always right in favor of your vision and like how do you sort of tiptoe um that kind of line then uh, all the time uh, you know like um maybe for better or for worse like ultimately at the end of the day i just want to build a company that i i find really cool and does things that i think are neat and i, I kind of hope that there's other people out there who align with that um I understand everyone's going to have different needs and opinions about certain things. Um, but yeah, we've, we've definitely had some feedback on our, our packaging and uh, our, our product offering that people weren't happy. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, I've been doing this for 10 years of my life for, you know, 40 plus hours a week. And I plan on doing it for another 30 hours. So like, I, I really don't want to create products that sell well that I don't like just because I'm making money because like, I, not to say I'm filthy rich or anything, but you know, I, I, uh, I, I don't have a lot of needs to, to buy a lot of things. Like I've, I've got my house, I've got no debt. 
you know, I, I've got cars, I've got food on the table, you know, I can pay for my kids' schools and stuff like that. So, you know, to make more money isn't what I want. Uh, to do things that are cool or I find cool is what I want. So that takes a higher priority than always chasing, you know, growth and, and revenue. And then hopefully, like I said earlier, hopefully there's other people out there who think the, the, the things that were cool are cool and, and worth, um, you know, brings value to, to their lives and, and is worth it to them. I have a lot of respect for that. And I appreciate you sharing that. I think that that is to me something that I, as I've talked to more founders, they sort of struggle with sort of like the, the internal voice of like, do I, you know, the reason that, you know, the vision that I have this this kind of, uh, you know, core values, the frameworks that I've really created. And then you kind of come again, it's kind of this uh, fork in the road of, you know, do you, do you go against everything that you've kind of been building to, appease you know like this i mean obviously listening to customer and points can be really fantastic but you have to kind of think about like why did i start this in the first place you mentioned if you're going to be here for another 30 years you want to be motivated to, to come to show up to build amazing things and build an awesome brand um, i have a lot of respect for that so i i i think that that's something that i'm, I'm glad you touched on i think is a message a lot of founders uh need to hear i think in their journey as well and i i, yeah. I wanted i'm oh, sorry go ahead well, well i just uh you know kind of one of the things i like to say is like there's only one person who's going to spend 100% of the time with you, which is yourself. So you might as well enjoy that person. And kind of the same is true with the, the business. Um, uh, assuming you don't have like outside funders or funding or debt or, you know, like these liabilities that, that you need to pay off. If you build a business that's entirely free, um, you know, from debt and free from outside parties, then, you know, like, it really you you and your your business partners are going to be the ones who spend as much time in the business. So you might as well enjoy it, you know, because there's no point building a business that's not fun to to be part of. And, that's very true. You know, we we spend... have to say there's there's going to be hard days. You know, that's for sure. But uh, you know, you yeah, you, you want to do it for yourself, not for other people. Absolutely, we spend the bulk of our lives working you know whether that's uh you know for somebody or in an entrepreneurial endeavor and to be able to enjoy it and have fulfillment like that's that's the american dream the american spirit obviously but like in a more broader sense like um you know getting to call your own shots i think is one of the greatest fulfillments in, in kind of life i think um so i this is this has been great to kind of have a little more philosophical conversation i think in terms of this but um i wanted to just before we wrap up to um ask you just a little bit more about like 2022 2023 kind of like some of the kind of like looking back looking forward and sort of like what's next for beard brand in some ways um what was 2022 like if you could just paint like a little brief picture of kind of what it was and then what are you thinking about for for the next year yeah i mean 2022 was was kind of a challenging year for us uh, i actually did a yearly recap on on my podcast e-commerce conversations where i went into a little bit greater detail um but we were riding pretty high in 2021 and uh, writing high in the regards of uh, sales are up, but it was driven primarily through uh, advertising, which was not um, sustainable or, or profitable. So it was, you know, like a slow, uh, I guess a more spectacular crash is uh, the direction we would have gone if we continued on that pathway. So we made the decision to, to reallocate our focus towards organic content in 2022, which uh, to a certain degree, it would describe it as uh, gliding, you know, uh, gliding safely down a, a bit. We did uh, roll out new initiatives in terms of like building our affiliate program, 
another one of those programs that takes a long period of time that you're not going to see the results of until, you know, many years down the road and, and just like trying to build stronger relationships with influencers. So we, we kind of tightened our belt on those classic beard brand marketing strategies. And we did see a, a drop in, in revenue, but uh, a, a bump in profitability. And then, um, you know, 2023 is actually off to a pretty rocky start. It's not, not the start that I was hoping or intended. Um, I think we've uh, got opportunities to improve our website experience and how people can purchase from us as well as uh, new channels. So uh, we, we're reshifting our focus from selling in uh, Target and uh, bricks and mortar to selling on Amazon, which is, I, I want to say it's not our first time doing this, but it's like a new initiative. We haven't done it in about five or six years since we, we last sold on Amazon. So being able to grow our Amazon. And then uh, we also pulled off, uh, pulled out of Europe a number of years ago, I think 2019, and uh, maybe exploring how we might be able to start our distribution again in Europe and being able to grow those those markets are kind of like the, the three main things. So, you know, subscriptions and website conversion, uh, Amazon and, and uh, European distribution are what I'm probably most focused on for 2023. Yeah, I highly recommend anyone listening who hasn't check out Eric's podcast where he recaps that year year and uh, year year behind. That's really great list, and I actually caught it uh, yesterday as I was prepping for this. And a lot of great takeaways. The Amazon piece I, I wanted to touch on a little bit more, if I could, is just um, I think you had mentioned you're taking your your brick and mortar or Target offering and putting that on Amazon. Is that correct, or like what's the strategy with Amazon? Yeah, I uh, want to have different SKUs that aren't available on our website that are available on Amazon and, and really make sure that we control uh, the Amazon experience. We don't get a lot of third-party sellers or gray market sellers. So uh, yeah, we're focusing uh, on what was traditionally, we would call it our white line, but uh, lumberyard fragrance. So you can see uh, see that. I've got some here. I was actually creating some videos for Amazon uh, yesterday, That's and awesome. uh, we—I've uh, ne never sold on Amazon before. I know there's some hacks. I've—I've I've had plenty of people on my podcast who kind of share uh, ideas of of how to do it. So I feel pretty confident in the sense that we have a pretty large following that we're going to be able to leverage um, that engaged community to maybe get a uh, leg up over. Know, someone who's starting this industry completely fresh. It's going to be tough though, because you know we're eight years late into it, and there's people with you know forty thousand reviews sure. uh, for their products, and uh, you know when come in with a hundred reviews, it's going to be uh, maybe not as enticing. So being able to figure out ways to um, you know create a, an experience and a product that uh, leads to people leaving reviews is going to be a, a challenge for us, and then you know. Um, I don't know if we're going to have to explore paid acquisition on Amazon as a channel, uh, but that might be something that we explore as well to be able to kind of hit the daily unit targets that, that we're going to want to do to, to make the channel worthwhile. For sure. Yeah, I think uh, as I talked to a few founders as well, thinking about you know expanding deeper on Amazon, pulling out of marketplaces, you know, like Target, for example, um, you know, I, I think it's been interesting to hear. Um, and 
I'm curious, like, are you at all fearful of like losing DTC customers to Amazon who would favor that experience? It sounds like, I mean, obviously we talked a lot about like the reasons why you would shop DTC, but um, are you concerned about that cannibalization at all? Or do you just view it as if they're a customer, that's a win and, and you kind of keep nurturing sort of those behaviors along? No, certainly it's a, a fear of mine. The, the, the big reason that we pulled off Amazon a number of years ago was that we saw uh, a dramatic increase in our sales on our website um, to the fact that there was clearly cannibalization. People would shop on Beard Brand and buy on Amazon. So I think you get around that a little bit by having different product offerings on the channels. Um, so I, I, I don't think we were doing that the first time around. I think our full catalog that was available on our store was also available on Amazon. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a concern. I mean, I don't, I don't want to engage in a platform and then lose sales, you know, <laughs> like it's, uh, especially one like Amazon, that's just so soulless and so transactional. And so, you know, they're all about the commoditization of products, which is, you know, to me, not, not a really fun thing. Maybe for consumers, it's fine who uh, fall into the consumerism trap. And it's just about how can I buy as much as possible, as cheaply as possible, which to me is just like, uh, and shivers down my spine. Totally. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a hamster wheel in some ways, you know, it kind of, it feels like, you know, you're just, you're not really gaining as much, obviously, as if they were shopping DTC for obvious reasons. But um, I think it is interesting to see, you know, it sort of feels like a necessary evil in a lot of ways too. And, um, you know, consumers demanding a lot of things, you know, obviously, but you kind of touched on it, but like other than two day shipping, I don't really get much from, from buying from Amazon as a consumer, other than the convenience factor. Um, but I know that it's kind of, you know, it is something that you kind of have to be, I think there right now and kind of see, you know, what's going to happen, but are you thinking about like, this is the test with Amazon and you'll kind of see at the end of 2023 where things are at, or is it sort of like a little bit more of a long-term investment for you? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're never afraid to <laughs> kill off things that, um, uh, may not be worthwhile as a, a bootstrap company. A lot of the times we'll ask ourselves, you know, are we doing the best we can at the things that we're good at? Is there still opportunity for growth? And if the answer is yes, then that generally results in killing off distractions to, to focus on our core competency. If the answer is no, then that gives us an opportunity to explore new channels. So uh, for instance, like I could say, you know, are we getting, you know, as, as many sales as we could be getting from our YouTube channel. And I would say, no, I still think there's room for growth on YouTube, something we do well, but I still think there's opportunity to improve. And because it's going to be less friction to get better at the things you already do well, uh, I prefer doing that over, um, you know, new channel, new channel, new channel. So many people get into this trap of like seeing all the opportunities for growth, you know, growth in Europe, growth on Target, growth on Amazon, uh, you know, growth with this kind of product that's outside of our core. And it's like, all of a sudden, your business is complicated. You've got sure. vendors all over the place. You've got uh, a billion SKUs. Uh, your customers are confused. They're like, what do these products have to do with anything? You know, and then you're you're all scrambled around, like uh, basically tripping over, um, tripping over a quarter to pick up a dime, you know, and uh, we, we kind of want to avoid that. And, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that. Uh, having to tighten our belt from time to time and reevaluate. But the reality is you can do a lot of work 
in D2C space and e-commerce space, you can do a lot of work uh, or you can do less work and generally speaking, be able to figure out how to make the same amount of money. So why would you do that? Why would you do more work for the same amount of money? Unless you're selling your business or you have an exit plan, you know, things like that uh, are, are valid reasons to do that, but not, uh, that's not in our blueprint. So uh, it gets back to like low drama, uh, you know, being able to enjoy life, low stress type of business that, um, you know, my, my team's been here for a while. They enjoy working here. I enjoy working here. And I don't know. I feel like that's just kind of like a, a secret half hack to life that I have that I wish, uh, more people had. I agree. I think it's, um, it's often, you know, we feel like, you know, we have this hustle culture and we have to always be doing the next greatest, best thing. Um, you know, a lot of us being peddled and, you know, around like, you know, you have to do this now you have to do this to grow the business. And, and I think it goes back to the beginning of our conversation, talking about core values, the philosophy, your vision, and how you've really driven the last, you know, 10, 12 years here with beard brand. So I think it, um, it's a great place, I think, to kind of put a bow in this conversation. Um, but I really appreciate all the insight here, Eric. This has been um, a super, you know, insightful, but also philosophical conversation. And my, my final question for you as we wrap up here, um, looking back at the last, you know, 10 plus years, what is something that you're the most proud of at Beard Brand? Um, you know, I tend not to, to, to look backwards very much. Um, I think there are some things that are cool experiences that, you know, uh, as you do the business longer, they, they, they kind of fade, you know, like being on Shark Tank was a pretty cool experience. Um, doing a case study with ShipStation, I think, has actually gotten me in front of more people on uh, TV. Uh, so that's kind of cool, like being uh, in a TV commercial. Having a few videos go viral and, you know, getting 5 million views on a, a video or an ad that, that really hits is uh, pretty pretty interesting as well. And then, you know, I guess I, I, I know. Uh, I know what I'll tell you. So those are all pretty cool. But the, the thing is, uh, I write this, uh, I wrote this little booklet. It's called The Book of Reminders. You can get it on the website. It's um, it's like 40 pages, but it's the side of the field notes. It takes about 15 minutes to read. And it's kind of like um, the, the nine things that I'll remind myself as I face adversity in life. And, you know, long story short, it's about, you know, focusing on your breathing, focus on love, you know, not really worrying about the distractions, focusing on the present and, um, you know, not not really worrying about like all the things that aren't going to make a difference in, in five years or 10 years. And uh, we we gave those out to customers in every order for, for a quarter. And to, to be able to see some of the comments um, about people who were struggling with like alcoholism or uh, I had one person who uh, got in a car wreck and I think their, their children died and being able to forgive themselves uh, for that and to be able to move on uh, in the book was a reminder to that and a reminder to the love that they have. Uh, little things like that are probably the, the things that I'm most proud about uh, in building this business. That's remarkable and um, a great, great just kind of reminder too. I think of like um, you, know, you talked about like the connectedness that you're really trying to foster with customers and sort of this community that you've built and continue to build is um, I'm at to pick up a copy of, of that. I definitely would love to read that and kind of see a, a little bit of kind of, uh, you know, what, what goes into that. But um, that's really great. And I think, are you planning to do anything else with that? Is that sort of like a one-off book? Are you doing anything else kind of with that? 
No, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll do it about a, we kind of cycle through on a quarterly basis. So I have a quarterly planner and I have a, like a little notebook and then we have like a product catalog. So, uh, we'll actually soon we'll be including that in orders, but I don't know the actual date that, that we'll swap over or when it'll be available, but it'll, we'll be back, uh, available soon for, for orders. I'll definitely pick up a copy after this conversation. Um, but Eric, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for for all the insightful look, a deeper dive into Beard Brand, and really just all the takeaways. I think you know, anyone listening who's an aspiring or current founder, I'm sure can take a lot away from this. Um, where can we go to buy some Beard Brand products and also get in touch with you? Yeah, of course, uh, beardbrand.com uh, is a go-to source or check us out on social media if you just need to, to learn. And then... Uh, if you're brave and you know can handle kind of libertarian rants from time to time, then you can follow me on Twitter, uh, which is my last name at Bandholtz. Perfect. We'll link out to all that in the show notes here. I must follow on Twitter, so I'll definitely endorse that as well. Um, wishing you all the best in 2023 and beyond, Eric. Um, again, really appreciate the conversation. Awesome. Thank you.